things I don't like. Bad people taking advantage of the weak. Good people down on their luck. Innocent people suffer. Talk to God a lot. Sometimes he talks back. So I ask him, what are you going to do something about all this? Do you know what his answer was? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. My name is Habakkuk. This is my story. Good morning, One Church. How you guys doing? Today we're starting a brand new series on Habakkuk. And we're going to be spending some time in this little small book called Habakkuk. And then we're going to be going into Hosea. And I'm really excited about talking with you today from what Habakkuk has to say because it's really relevant in all of our lives because we all have questions. We all have questions and we all ask why and how and what. Um, For those that have children, we all know that we get questions from our little children a lot. Questions like, why is the sky blue? Where do babies come from? These are all questions. Guys, how do we respond? Go ask your mom, right? (laughs) Or, um, you know what? It's because I said so. How many of y'all have ever said that? All right? And then they ask why again. And then you really do want to just like... It's just like... It's hard to ask those questions when you don't know the answer. It's hard. It even gets worse when you get older and... The questions get harder. You ask questions like, God, if you're in control, why is everything so out of control? God, if you're good, how come there's so much bad stuff in this world? God, I've honored you with my finances, and I've now lost my job, and this other dude who hasn't given you one cent... He seems to prosper. Why is that, God? God, why is it that somebody who loves you and who just is so passionate about you dies when they're 25 and this other dude who is so evil and so wicked lives to be 90? Why is that, God? God, I've spent so much time with my kids and children and I've tried raising them God's way. And when they hit 18, they go, see your parents, see your God. And yet, the person who never took them to church and never spent any time with them, they're now a preacher. Why is that, God? God, why is it that there's so much stuff? God, why don't you do more? God, how is this going to work out? We ask tough questions. I've asked tough questions like that. And if you're honest with yourself, you would say you have as well. Because sometimes things just doesn't seem to work out the way we think they should work out. Sometimes it just doesn't fit in a nice puzzle. The pieces just doesn't seem to fit. And we go, God, why? Why is this? Why is it that I've spent so much time trying to find a job, and you, I can't find it. Why is that, God? 
Why is it that every time I read the Bible and I pray, nothing seems to happen? Where are you? The, the fellow who wrote the book of Habakkuk, his name is Habakkuk, and uh, he says it in, in chapter 1, verse 2. By the way, this is found in the One Church Bible on uh, page 717. It's going to take you a while to find the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to be honest with you. So, I mean, I, you go ahead and start looking now, and by the end of the sermon, you should be there. All right? Um, it's right past Nahum. Does that help? Yeah, didn't think so. This is how, this is how God's man, this is what he's saying. In verse 2, how long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But what does it say? You do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but what does it say? You do not come to save. These are difficult questions. Anybody ever ask God, where are you? Why aren't you doing the things? Yet yeah, me, me as well. I've been there. I've done that. You know, these are tough questions. And the thing that it's so, this book means so much to me is, Kim and I, we lived this book in some of our most darkest times of our life. And we're going to share that some with you as we go through this study. It's just, it's difficult. The theme of Habakkuk is, what do you do when God seems unfair? What do you do when it just doesn't seem to add up? And you get angry at God. What do you do? Because so many of us, we think, you know what, in order to be a good Christian, that we can't have any questions. We must only have answers. That to be a good Christian, to be a good follower of Christ, that we must never doubt our faith. That we've been never, we, we, we never ask God, what in the world are you doing? That to be a good Christian, you, you, we, we live on Bible verses that say, Thou shalt not doubt. Thou shalt never lose faith i got a word for you today. There's a Hebrew word for all of that. It's called bunk. Because I am a Christ follower, and I have had very serious questions. That I have lived now about 30 years of being a Christian, and the more I get to know God, the less I seem to know and seem to be sure about. Uh, that the more I study God's Word, the more questions I have. It's difficult. And there's not any just pat answers. There's never just any, many times just neat answers. Before we dive into the book, let me tell you, the book Habakkuk, he was a prophet. And this is a prophetic book. And what, what is a prophet? Well, a prophet is somebody, they didn't have God's Word at that time. They didn't have the Bible. And because they didn't have the Bible, they just couldn't look and go to the book of Habakkuk. So what God would do is He would say, okay, I, I, I'm going to find Jim, and Jim, I want you to go tell my people this is what I want them to know. And but most of the times they would say, yes, Lord, we do that. So they were God's mouthpiece, if you will. Here, the, the book Habakkuk is the one, he's kind of back-talking God. God's really not telling him something. He's going to God going, whoa, what in the world's going on? What's happening? What are you doing? And he comes to God with these questions. Now, at this time, it was 600 B.C. when Habakkuk lived. And, and during this time, God's people, the Israelites, um, they weren't as good as they should have been. They, they were becoming increasingly 
evil. More, I mean, more sin, more sin. And there was violence and there was corruption. There wasn't any justice. The economy was, to, was in the pits. And it, nothing seemed to really fit. Nothing, and, and, and Habakkuk is going, what in the world are you going to do about this, God? And God answers him and says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to raise up people that are more evil than you, more sinful than you, and more wicked than your people. And I'm going to judge your people by these people who are more wicked than you are. And Habakkuk is going, what are you talking about, Willis? What in the world are you doing? I don't like it. I don't like the answers. And I am frustrated and I'm angry. That's where Habakkuk's at. Verse, verse 1, this is what it says. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Let me say, by the way, the word Habakkuk, that, that word means something. It means to wrestle. It means to embrace. And we're going to see Habakkuk wrestling with God through some very tough questions. Verse 1 says this is the message. That word message in the amplified version of the Bible, it, it's translated as burden or burdensome. So Habakkuk has this burdensome message that he says, I really don't want to tell the people. I'm not really excited about this message. This doesn't give me uh, wonderful goosebumps. So he has this burden. In verse 2, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere I cry, but you don't come and save. God, you don't seem to care. I'm calling out to you and you're not answering my prayer. You're not doing as much as you could because if you are in control, it doesn't seem like it from here. That we sing the song, Mighty to Save. Y'all remember that song? And we believe He's mighty to save, but you're not coming to save. Why is that, God? Why? Tough questions. Wrestling through tough questions questions. Verse 3, why do you make it me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. In other words, if, if we were to put this in our day and age, God, why is it that that family who was on the way to Nashville, the van flips over and all of the children are killed? I'll never forget being in Dallas and this one this one family passes away and like four children passed away. I remember this little baby, this little casket. Where are you, God? Where are you? Or the, 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 the girl who go, jumps from bed to bed to bed to bed and continually gets pregnant and has abortions and doesn't want the children, and this godly couple is praying, God, give us children, and they can't conceive. What is that about, God? Or the wife who's faithful until her husband comes home, and when he finally comes home from serving his country, he says, see ya. I don't like you anymore. We've drifted apart. I don't know if I've ever loved you. God, what are you doing? Where are you at? 
Nothing's turning out fair. Verse 4, the law has become paralyzed, Habakkuk says, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. And he's talking about God's people, the Israelites. And Habakkuk says, as far as I can see it, nothing is turning out the way I think it should turn out. The problem is you don't seem to care. You, it doesn't seem fair. You're not doing much. You could do so much more. Why? And I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And you're going, whoa, can you even be that way with God? Can you be angry with God? Does God allow you to ask questions? And my answer is yes. If you look at the book of Psalms, almost one-third of the Psalms are of the writer asking tough questions. If you, I'm reading through the book of Job right now every morning, and I, gotta be, I don't like the book of Job. I kind of wish it wasn't in there because it really doesn't fit well and doesn't sit well with me. But God didn't ask me if it should be in the Bible. He just put it in there. The book of Job is about a, a godly man who horrific things happen. And he has a lot of questions for God. Even Jesus, uh, hanging on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Jesus had questions as well. If Jesus had questions, and Job had questions, and Habakkuk had questions, I can tell you, it's okay if you have questions. In fact, I will even go one step further, that it's questions are a good thing when you bring those questions to God. Because that's going to be a significant change. Something's going to happen where God is going to press you deeper, and you're going to get closer to God through these difficult times, through these hard times times. There's a book called Disappointed with God by Philip Yancey. I've been reading a lot of it lately. This is what he says, because all of us, if you're a Christian long enough, you're going to get disappointed with God. You're saying, well, can you say that? He sounds like you're being heretical. And if, if you're not in church, that means you're saying something bad. Alright? Can you really say that? Well, listen to what Philip Yancey says. No one is immune to the downward spiral of disappointment. It happens to people like televangelists and the people who write letters. It happens to ordinary Christians. First comes disappointment with God, then a seed of doubt, and then a response of anger or betrayal. We begin to question whether God is trustworthy, whether we can really stake our lives on Him. That's where many of you are at right now. And hear me, atheists don't get disappointed in God. Just because you're disappointed and you have questions doesn't mean you're an atheist. He goes and says this, True atheists do not, I presume, feel disappointed in God. They expect nothing and receive nothing from God. They believe. But those who commit their lives to God, no matter what, instinctively inspect something in return. And are those expectations wrong? You see, I, I want to show you a, a, a graph, if I could. I borrowed this from uh, three different sources. Uh, Seth Godin, Craig Rochelle, and... Philip Yancey in this book, Disappointment with God. And all of us, if you would, all of us, we start out right here. And we begin on this journey with God. And things seem to be going well. When I accepted Jesus into my heart and I actually had a relationship with Him and I realized He forgave my sins, I felt so good. It was awesome. Things were just gelling. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
Just jealous. I would pray and things would happen. And you felt like every time you go to church, and it was like the sermon was just for you. And every time you read the Bible, it was like, whoa, I can't believe that was in there. God rocks. All right? And then you're up here and, and, and stuff, it's going great. But then you realize that you're praying and God doesn't seem to be doing what you're asking Him to do. That when you go to church, the sermons are like, dude, I think the preaching stinks. Man, what's wrong with the worship? And, th- and, and you read the Bible and you open up, it's like, man, I, I, I can't get nothing out of this book. And you pray and you feel like your prayers go right here, but they don't go any farther. And you start asking the question, God, I thought you were going to be this way. I thought everything was going to be good. Lord, I felt like you promised me a rose garden and it ain't turning out like that. I am, And you start doubting God. And you start coming down into this valley right here. And you're like, God, what are you doing? What do you do when you, you felt like you were so close to God and now you're not? By the way, let me just ask this question. How many of y'all, those who are Christ followers, ever felt like you were so close to God and then you went through a period where just like, God, where did you go? Raise your hands. Keep them up, please. Everybody look around. Everybody has experienced this. Myself included. And they're hard questions, and there are no easy answers. But you're in the valley, and you know what? You got a you got a couple of options. You can say, you know what? I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to I'm I'm going to not believe this stuff anymore. And you go back to the beginning. You know what? I just I, I forget you, God. I, I believed who I thought you were, and you're not who I thought you were. So I'm going to stop believing. And that's a choice that you can kind of go back to the beginning and just say, I'm done. Or you can't say, you know what, I want to go back to the way it was. I want to go back to the way it was, where this closeness and this intimacy that we had, and that's an option, but you can never ever go back to the way it was, ever. Because things change. Relationships change. Even your relationship with God. You can say, you know what, I'm just going to stay down here forever, and I'm, I'm never going to trust you again. Yeah, I still believe in God. I still believe, but I don't trust you anymore. I don't feel like you're trustworthy. I asked God, change the circumstance. You didn't. So I'm done. I'm done with you. That's an option. Or you can take the most difficult option of all. And that is, you hold on to God. And you say, you know what? I don't understand you. You don't make sense to me right now. I'm frustrated with you. I'm even angry. But I'm going to stick with you. And amazingly, if you stick with Him, He's going to take your relationship with Him to a more intimate, a more deeper level than He ever has before. But you've got to hold on to Him. You've got to hang on tight to Him. Our big idea is this. And it's really a, it's a question. I don't, I don't even know if you can have a question. What do you do when you're disappointed with God? That's what we're talking about in this chapter today. What do you do when you're disappointed in God? It's what you do during these times that's of critical importance because you can do all of those options we, be, we talked about. But the best option, in my opinion, is sticking with God because we think, you know what? 
I get so frustrated sometimes with God because I, I don't understand Him. I pray and He doesn't answer the way I want Him to pray. And, and, and I just don't understand Him. That shouldn't... I'm a preacher. I should know this, but sometimes I forget. I can't understand Him. He's eternal. And I am, I am like finite. He's awesome. I'm like, you know. And if I could understand Him, then He wouldn't be this. In fact, this is how Isaiah 55, 8 says. This is God talking. He says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. He says this. God says, If you can understand me, then I'm not God. If you can connect the dots every time when I'm moving with you, then I can tell you, you're not believing in the God who created the universe. Because if we can understand Him, we can wrap our minds around Him, that means that we are bigger than He is. And that just isn't the case. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says it like this, talking about problems and trials and just junk that happens. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity. If I say the word opportunity, do you know you have an opportunity this morning? Alright? Uh, hear me. I, I'm not selling Amway. Alright? you got an opportunity. God has given you an opportunity. Whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for what? Joy? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when there's too much month at the end of the paycheck... I don't get a lot of joy. You know what I mean? But he says, no, 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 no. This is a perfect opportunity for joy. He goes on. For when your faith is tested. See, this is all about faith. When your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. You know what God says this? God may lovingly allow you to go through those deep, in dark times, those dips. Because it's only through those times that your faith has an opportunity to grow. That He's going to do something in you and around you that He could not do any other way. And some of you right now, this is where you're at. You're in chapter 1. You're in chapter 1 right now. And you're going, I just, I need answers. And people go, Jesus is the answer. You know what you want to do to people like that? Boom! That's what I want to do sometimes. And you may not like that. You may say, you have an anger problem. You're probably right. But you know what? Sometimes there are no easy answers. It's frustrating. that It's like sitcoms. How many of y'all watch sitcoms? You know, you watch the Cosby show and something happens at the beginning of the Cosby show and there's some tension. And in 22 minutes, once you take out all the commercials, the tension's gone and everybody's fixed. And everybody's holding hands and going... That's not real life, people. It's not real life. My life more resembled Seinfeld than it does anything else. Alright? Because I'm going, what's going on? I'm like Kramer. I'm like a wooden dude. You know? Man, it's just... It's chapter 1 of Habakkuk. That's chapter 1. And i got to be honest with you. There are no easy answers. Chapter 2 doesn't get too much better, by the way. We'll look at that next week. All right? But chapter 3, something miraculous happens. Something miraculous happens. But you can't give up at chapter 1. 
you got, you got, you got to push forward. You got to go to chapter two, and then you got to push forward, and you got to get to the place where God does something in you and around you that you're going to go, "Whoa! Oh my gosh! I didn't understand it. I, you know, I couldn't see you connect the dots, but looking back now, I see. Whoa! In fact, God responds to Habakkuk in verse five, and it's basically a whoa moment. All right. All right. Says this in, in verse uh, verse five. Says this. Um, the Lord replied, "Look at the nations. Look and be amazed. Look and be amazed. For I am going to do something in your own day, something that you wouldn't believe, even if you were told about it." I mean, that is Macaulay Culkin. All right, all right. That was dangerous. All right. So he's saying, "You're not going to believe it." And then it goes to verse six. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they're going to march across the world and they're going to conquer other lands. And by the way, they're going to conquer you. In verse 6, they're notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. The horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. The charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. On they come and they're bent on violence. And is going, I'm sorry I asked the question. Really? I've got to be honest with you. Kim and I, I told you this book means a lot to us. And it does. It wasn't too long ago that Kim and I were walking through a very difficult time in our ministry. Um, we decided, um, we left a church in Virginia Beach um, that was a fairly large church, about 4,000. And uh, we went uh, to the Midwest to a, a small family church of 35. By the way, do you know what a family church is? A family church is where it's run by one family. And uh, we thought, well, you know, we felt like God was moving, so we went out there. And uh, in this small family church, something happened. God started to grow it. And it went from 35 to 350. It was like in a, in a town of about 4,000. And it was like, wow, God's working, God's moving. And we're like, yay, God. And... Uh, this one family, though, who was in control, they didn't like it too much because they didn't, they didn't feel like they had power anymore. And Kim and I, we got really afraid and very fearful. Fearful that we might lose our job. Forty percent of pastors, by the way, are forced out of the ministry in one time or another in their life. Forty percent. Um, so we thought we might lose our job. Or all these new people that were coming, we were afraid that they were going to get hurt through this family. So we just, we're like, God, I don't, we don't know what to do. So we decided to go on a retreat. We went to Kansas City, Missouri, and we went to a women's retreat. Now, there's a problem. It was me and my wife, and I'm not a woman. All right? I would make a very ugly woman. All right? But we go to this retreat. It's called, it's a Beth Moore retreat. How many of y'all have heard of Beth Moore? All right, cool. There was 15,500 people at this thing. And there was 15,498 women. And uh, we went with our youth pastor. In fact, this is a picture of us at, at, at this retreat. By the way, this lady over here with the big hair, uh, my wife, that's her. Uh, but this is Beth Moore. And, and this is me. And this is our youth pastor. And we're, we go to this conference, and, and she's talking about fear. What are you afraid of? 
And uh, she gets me up on stage in front of 15,500 people. And she says, Chris, what are you most afraid of? <laughs> and me being a guy, I immediately start bawling. <laughs> and, and I told her, I, my, my everyday fear was of, of, of not being able to provide for my family. By the way, guys, any of y'all ever have that fear? I'm there. And I said, but my greatest fear is harming the body of Christ, the church. Because I was really afraid of what might happen. And uh, through this entire two-day weekend, Beth is teaching on the book of Habakkuk. And as she's teaching, she says, oh, by the way, Chris, this is something that God needs to tell you. Oh, by the way, Chris. I mean, again, every time she would call on, I'm writing notes. And I, I would kind of scared, hey, what, what, you know, and, uh, and she, I remember her saying this, Chris, even though you may fail God, God will never fail you. And my wife and I heard very clearly, don't quit. Don't stop. You be faithful. God has it under control. That was the beginning of September. By the end of September, this family had met, and I'd lost my job. And uh, I, I, I had prayed. I had fasted. I had asked people. I, I, I tried doing things God's way, and it didn't turn out the way I thought it should, God should have made it turn out. And I had a lot of questions. Why? God, I know that you're sovereign. That means you you're, have everything under control. You could have changed this if you wanted to. Why didn't you? God, you say that you honor, you know, it, when, when we obey, we get blessed. I'm trying to obey. Where's the blessing, God? And I got very frustrated, very angry with God. And it took me a long time to really feel like, because people would say, I, you know, God is good. I'd go, is He? Is He good? Because right now, things aren't going so well. And my faith went through a rough time with Him. And that's where we're going this, through this series. Hard questions. I have no answer today except this. Our big idea. What do you do when you're disappointed with God? You hold on to Him. What do you do when you wrestle with God? Like Habakkuk wrestled with God? Remember, Habakkuk's name means to wrestle, but it also means to embrace. You embrace God. You hold on. You don't stop believing. You don't go back to the way everything used to be. You hold on to God because I promise you, if you hold on to God, He will hold on to you. It may not be simple. It may take you years until you finally see the, the big picture or the connected dots, but you will be able to see it and you will go, Thank you, God. Thank you for letting me go through that time. Thank you for allowing these things to happen. Thank you, God. And I can be honest with you, as God is my witness today, 
My faith is stronger now in God than it ever has been. I'm, no, I'm not angry with God. I love God more than I ever have because I can step back and I can see God's hand at work. And I can see that He is in control. And I can see that He is good. But right now, I got that in chapter 3, by the way. We're not there yet. So, you want some hope? All I can tell you is hold on. Hold on to Him. For He will never let go of you. Ever. Ever. Let's pray. Lord, today, we're going to Habakkuk you. We're going to embrace you. Lord, because we're wrestling through some tough questions. Lord, I pray for those right now who are specifically in chapter 1 of their lives. Lord, they're struggling through questions and through pain and frustration and they don't know why things have happened the way it has. They don't know why that spouse has left. They don't know why that business has folded. They don't know why that person has lost their job. They don't know why their parent is sick or their child has that incurable disease. And Lord, we come with questions. Lord, I pray, Lord, my prayer for them is that they would hold on to You. That they would not stop. That they would not settle for anything less than to Habakkuk you, than to embrace you, than to wrestle with you through these tough times. Because it's when we hold on to you and wrestle with you through these tough questions that our faith grows, that we get that opportunity. So Lord, I pray for those right now whose marriages are struggling, whose finances are struggling, somebody who's lost their job. In fact, if you're, just, if you're in Habakkuk 1 right now, if you're just having those questions right now, God, will you just raise your hands? Let me pray for you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, I see you, ma'am. Anyone else? Dear God, I pray for those right now who are asking those tough questions. Lord, I pray that they would feel the opportunity, the freedom to be able to ask you those tough questions because you can't have faith and still have doubts. You can believe in you, God, and still have questions. So, Lord, I pray for those, Lord, that, Lord, as they stick with you and as they hold on to you, Lord, and as you hold on to them, Lord, that you never let go. And, Lord, that they will see your faithfulness and goodness. Lord, I pray, Lord. And for those others in you, there's some in here today that your biggest thing is, Chris, I don't think God seems fair. I don't think He's fair, and I don't think I can follow a God who's fair. Let me tell you, God is not fair. Oh, He's just. He is holy. He is just, but He isn't fair. Let me explain that. If God was fair, because all of us in here are sinners, all of us in here have chosen wrongly, we've done bad things, we have sinned, if God was fair, we would spend an eternity apart from Him in hell. If God was fair. But God is also just. He's not fair. He's just. And He sends His one and only Son. that says, if you would believe in Me, if you would believe in Jesus... He will take all of those sins away on the cross. He will take all of those sins away and He will give you eternal life. 
He will give you freedom from your sins and your past and your addictions. Let me tell you, church, that's not fair. That's called grace. And some of you in here, you need to experience God's grace. Not His fairness, but His grace. So for those in here right now, Lord, I pray that they would be able to pray a prayer. Jesus, thank You for loving me. Thank You for forgiving me of all of my sins, of all of my madness. Thank You for dying on the cross for me and three days later being raised again so that I can have a relationship with You. Thank You for not being fair, but by giving me Your grace. And for all of us, I pray, church, that we hold on to You, God. We hold on to Him, even in the darkness. He will never let us go.